The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Tuesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast, 9-18-18, and we've got two guests for you today, and you're going to learn a lot from both of them. We're going to start with Super Bowl 50 MVP Vaughn Miller making the rounds for Old Spice. They've got an event coming up later today on their social channels, and I have to say, they sent me a duffel bag with a big giant robe that my kid already stole from me, a big giant towel that I have protected, some t-shirts, a hoodie, some product. So thank you to Old Spice. I've been a loyal Old Spice customer for many years now, and it's great to get a little swag on the back end. And it's great to have a chance to talk to Von Miller as he makes the rounds for Old Spice. So we'll hear from him. And then after that, 30 minutes with former NFL referee and now Sunday Night Football rules analyst Terry McCauley on roughing the passer, on the helmet rule, on ejections, and everything else that comes up during that discussion, a very detailed and meaningful and thorough discussion about roughing the passer and various tributaries and branches of the call that was made on Sunday late in the Packers-Vikings game. I think you will learn a lot from it. I think you'll hear some things from Terry McCauley that you're not hearing anywhere else. So that comes up later. For now, here is Super Bowl 50 MVP Von Miller. We don't get a Super Bowl MVP on the program very often, but we get one today thanks to the new Old Spice Foamer. It's a foaming body wash that lathers in a flash. Von Miller is partnering with Old Spice for the Foam Zone Obstacle Course Game Show on Old Spice's YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live channel Tuesday, 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern. What in the heck is the Foam Zone Obstacle Course Game Show, Von? <laughs> it's a... Um football theme um, obstacle course that is covered in the old spice foamer and um fans they can tune in and actually influence the obstacle course so it's uh, it's pretty cool and like you said they can um they can uh, see it on all the old spice media um channels from 5 p.m to 11 p.m are you actually going to be a contestant in this obstacle course no no i'm not going to be a contestant contestant but they do have a um a von miller um statue that guys would be climbing up and it'll be covered in foam too so it's pretty cool you can catch that up you can catch that on all the old spice social media channels like i said before from 5 p.m to 11 p.m eastern you know one thing i've been meaning to ask you about do you still do the chicken farming oh yes sir 100 percent. that's that's me all the way how big is it now um we got about like uh 35 acres uh 35 acres uh yeah yeah it's it's, it's on the way it's growing do you ever chase the chickens like Rocky and Rocky too? No, nah, no, nah, I don't chase them. They they are pretty quick though. The thing is though, whenever you are chasing chickens though, you, you don't really chase them. Just like take your time, like walk walk up on them, be calm, and that uh that usually works for me. So you sneak up on the chicken and then you make your move. Not really, not really. Just sneak up on them. Just just be patient and just be calm. And usually, if you're calm, the chickens are calm, and it it, it makes it easy to to pick them up. What was your key to uh, 
uh, getting Russell Wilson on the ground as many times as you did? Because that's got to be even harder than chasing a chicken trying to tackle that guy. Yeah, it's, it's about the same technique. Just just be calm. You know, just uh, don't rush it. Just let him run, and run to you. Just keep the same rush lanes and you'll be all right. How much did you study the way that he likes to spin away from the pocket, get outside of the pocket? I mean, how much of that is a factor when you're facing a Russell Wilson, the lanes that you take, whether you go inside, whether you go outside, the things you do to try to get to a guy like that? Um, you know, you you really don't put too much into it because whenever you play him, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be totally different than what you watch them film. You just want to get to him and you just want to work with uh, the guys that you have around um, the guys that you have around you to just get him on the ground. He's he's a, he's a great quarterback, and if you leave him any lane, he's going to take it. What, what, what do you send Donald Penn for what you did to him on Sunday when you threw him down on on the <clears> ground? <throat> did, does he get does he get some Old Spice products? Does he get some chicken? Does he get uh, you know fruit basket th- uh, thank you note or condolences? What does he get? <laughs> I mean, D Penn is, is a great is a great guy. I feel like. You know he's my he's my teammate. I've been knowing him so long, and we've never even been on the same team. So, deep deep in though, it was just it was just game day. You know, I got I got to get mine too. Did did I mean it looked like he got crossed up a little bit, and it was easier to just knock him down on the ground? I don't know. I was just I was just rushing, just trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. I I really don't like to put too much emphasis on offensive alignment or moves or you know, anything like that. I'm just to keep it simple. I just try to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. But when do you know in a given play what you're going to do, whether you're going to try to go inside, outside, spin, bull rush, whatever? When do you come to that conclusion as to how you're going to get to the quarterback? Probably, uh, probably two steps into the rush. You know, I really don't have, like, uh, any premeditated moves. Um, I just try to get a great jump on the ball. And, like, uh, probably off the second step, I know if I'm going to speed the power, long arm, bull, or spin. Probably – I know it off of where the offensive alignment is, so it just uh, just try to get a great jump on every play. What quarterback do you like chasing the most? I mean, you don't really like chasing none of them. You know, you want to get them on the ground. If, you, if you're chasing them, you know, that's not that's not good <laughs> for us on defense. You know, you you just want to get to them, and whenever you get to them, you just want them to fall. Like that's the that was the quarterbacks that the def, that pass was just like going after the quarterbacks. Right when you touch them, that they fall. Not the Russell Wilsons. Or the Derek Cars or the Carson Wentz. You want the quarterbacks that that's just gonna let this is gonna fall right there when you get to them. Where does the next guy you face fit into that category? Joe Flacco, tall guy, not real mobile. Is he a guy who goes down when you hit him? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, kind of, sorta. I mean, <laughs> I mean, kind of, sorta. Joe Flacco, he's, he's one of the lead quarterbacks in the league, and you know he's not gonna give up sacks. That's a given, and um, he's he's pretty good with the ball. And, um, yeah, they, they have a great offensive line over there, so it's going to be another tough task for us this week. What do we make of this new protection of quarterbacks? And, you know, it's almost like you can't hit them high, you can't hit them low, and if you hit them in the middle, you better be careful because if you land on them, you're going to get flagged for that too. How are you supposed to get a quarterback on the ground when you have to be so careful about the strike zone and also how hard you strike them? Um, yeah, just I just go for the ball. You know, I, I just go for the ball. You know, that's um, that's my whole mindset. I feel like – Sack force fumble is the biggest play in uh, in football, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the ball back for my offense each and every time. So if if I'm open and I got a clean shot on the, on the quarterback, I'm going for the ball. And let me tell you, I got some of the worst roughing the passer calls out. So I totally understand, you know, how Clay is uh, feeling today. But from my point of view, I just go for the ball every time. 
You know, Vaughn, it's funny. We're talking so much about roughing the passer after two weeks of the NFL season. A month ago, everyone thought we'd be talking about this new lowering the helmet rule. That's essentially gone away. Why do you think that hasn't been a bigger factor through the first two weekends? I think it's uh, we just uh, did a great job as uh, as pros to um, adjusting to the new rule. You know, it's always going to be rule changes. The game is always going to change, and all the great ones they always have this ability to adapt to the game. And I think um, as a whole, you know, um, defenses uh, have uh, started to adapt to it. Who do you think is the best pass rusher right now in the NFL? Um, besides myself, or uh, yeah, yes, I, I can't, no, obviously I can't. besides you. Von Miller number one. Who's number two? Right. I can't vote for myself. So I mean, right. it's a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys. It just depends on what team or, or, or that day. You know, sacks coming bunches. You know, one guy can have you know three sacks this day, and and I have another sack for the next three weeks. So it just depends. I think um, some of the greats that have done it consistently over the last couple of years, of course, you know, Khalil, um, Chandler Jones, um, Aaron Donald. Can't forget, you know, J.J. Watt and the guys over in Houston with uh, Clowney and all of those guys. So it just depends. It just depends on the week. To be to lead in the league, you just got to stay hot every every week. You got to stay hot every week. And I've never led um, the National Football League in sacks. And, you know, hopefully this will be the year. When you see what happened with Khalil Mack and the Raiders, what lessons do you take away from that that may apply to yourself, either in the past or in the future? Um, yeah, I, you know, like uh, guys like Khalil and JJ and, you know, Aaron Donald, you would think that guys like that are untradeable. You would like to, you know, keep guys like that in your organization for as long as possible. But, you know, obviously it doesn't, you know, work like that. You just got to be able to take advantage of the opportunity when it presents itself and, you know, for Khalil, he went to a great team. He was able to one one player change their whole organization, and that's what you uh, that's what you wish for. Just uh, just keep playing and let your play speak for you. Were you happy to see Khalil Mack leave the AFC West? Yeah, I was. I, I was, you know, good good play by the Raiders. <laughs> you know, that definitely that <laughs> definitely helps the Broncos out. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I like the I like the the battles that we had. Um, you know, going against him. You know, he get a sack, I get a sack. You know. I, that was dope. It's, it's always like that in the AFC West, you know, from the Raiders to, you know, the, the Chargers and the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs, they have two great passers over there as well with Justin Houston and D Ford. And, you know, everybody knows about the Chargers with, with Joey Bozen and Melvin Ingram. So it's still it's still an AFC West, but it's just missing one guy. So that's just how the league is. Avon, you said earlier you don't focus on offensive linemen, but is there, is there one guy out there that's kind of like the joker to your Batman where you just don't want to see this guy, you you dread having to try to get past him? I mean, yeah, that's, that's – uh, I mean, really any offensive lineman can be that for me. If you add a chipper in, if you add a, a tight end chip, if you add in a slide and you add in a running back, you know, chipping, it, it's, it's tough, you know. It's tough when you have, you know, all that attention. And looking for you know, me and my team, we have a lot of great pass rushers, um, Shaq, Shane, and, and Bradley Chubb that are, that are help out this year. So, you know, you just got to, you know, if, if, if it's a joker on the other side of not Batman, you got to rely on, on Robin to come help you. So it's, it's a team sport. It's a team, it's a team sport, and we got, a lot of, we got a lot of pass rushers over here. How's Bradley Chubb doing so far? Bradley's doing great, man. I, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely relieving when – you get young guys in like Bradley Chubb and you know, Cortland Sutton and, and Philip Lindsay. You know, guys like that, they, they can just come in and really change the organization and 
you know, a matter of weeks. And, you know, we got a, we got a great supporting cast with those young guys. And you know, we, we've been great through two weeks, and we just got to keep pushing. How much different is it this year with Case Keenum at quarterback? Oh, it's different. You know, uh, you know Paxton and, um, and Trevor, they did a great job for the organization. They did a great job for us. But, you know, Case is, is just a special player. He's, he's just special all the way around. And when you have a guy like that, it definitely it definitely changes everything on the offense. And when you got an offense like that, it makes the, the defense that more effective. Hey, one more before I let you run. I know you take the games one at a time. You don't play the Chiefs this weekend, but they're coming, and you see what Patrick Mahomes is doing in that offense. How tempting is it to start thinking about what you're going to try to do to counter what he's done so far? Patrick Mahomes has just been hot. You know, 10 touchdowns through two weeks is is just incredible. Um, You know, the the Chiefs, they had a great team last year. They got great players other than Patrick Mahomes from Travis Kelsey to to, – you can't you, you you can't forget um you know all the guys they have they have one of the best offensive lines in football as well Tyreek Hill is playing lights out Kareem Hunt you know they just stacked all across the board you just gotta you know hope that uh you know they kind of cool down a little bit whenever we play them and whenever we play them we just gotta go out there and play. Well, hey Vaughn, you're off to a great start two and zero. We thank you as always for including us in these visits, and we will check out the Foam Zone Obstacle Course Game Show, Old Spice's YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live channels Tuesday, 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Vaughn. All righty, thanks for giggling. Appreciate you guys. Thanks again to Vaughn Miller and to Old Spice for the opportunity to speak with Vaughn now. Thanks in advance to NBC for hiring Terry McCauley because we have access to one of the longtime referees who can give us plenty of insight about the things happening. Roughing the passer, all the rage. We thought it was going to be the lowering of the helmet rule. That's nothing. Roughing the passer is everything. I had a chance to talk to Terry for a full 30 minutes. Here is the conversation with former NFL referee now, Sunday Night Football Rules analyst Terry McCauley. Terry, welcome back. How are you, pal? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, and I'm glad to be able to talk to you because we got a lot to figure out in the NFL as it relates to roughing the passer. Who would have seen the explosion in roughing the passer calls and the controversies coming from it? I know they have the points of emphasis, but still, until it happens, you don't appreciate what it's going to be. How surprised are you, big picture, by the uptick in roughing the passer and by the things that are now being called roughing the passer that may not have been in the past? marginally surprised because I, I was actually there. I was still in the league in the beginning when when this really was presented to the 17 referees at our mini clinic in May in New York. And as I'm, they're, they're showing us the video, uh, of course, of, of what they're expecting fouls to be in, in 2018. And the, the, the first ones were pretty obvious. And we're talking the body weight, the point of emphasis with body weight. First ones were pretty obvious. And, but as the as, as the video went on, rolled on, the clips started looking more and more like foreign tackles, and and I became I was starting to become more and more uncomfortable that there were things that have never even been close to being a foul before. They now wanted us to call roughing the passer. So I actually asked the question, or is this really where we're going? And and I and and the response was was somewhat flippant in that, well, if you don't think it is in real time on Sunday, then don't call it. Well, that. That kind of told me that now 17 referees get to decide what they're going to do come regular season. So there was a concern early on. And this wasn't, you know, we'll talk about use of helmet later, but this didn't explode quickly. This was kind of slow developing uh, onto the scene. And 
but we did see our first uh, hint of it in the preseason. Do you recall the, uh, I believe Anton Williams play in Minnesota Jacksonville preseason week two, maybe? Yes. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's just a, a punishing tackle, legal form tackle, and was penalized. And I thought, well, maybe the young, it was, it was I believe it was Sean Hockley, uh, just, just a, an error in judgment early in his career. Well, then, next thing I know, I see that in media reports that he was fined $20,000. So, so kinda, that kind of raised, raised my awareness right there. Uh, and, and then we get into regular season week one with doubling the number of roughing the passer fouls in uh, for over 2017 week one. So we're now on to something. And obviously it subsequently ended with Minnesota Green Bay this past weekend. Oh, you know, the lowering the helmet controversy was perfect cover for the roughing the passer renewed emphasis because nobody freaked out about it, at least not to the same degree, because we were all panicked that the NFL was going to forever change as it relates to the lowering the helmet foul. But that's now been taken care of, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But as it relates to roughing the passer, what is it for, for the layperson out there that doesn't consume football 365 days a year, that watches the game, sees the flags, and doesn't understand it? Explain what that new point of emphasis is as it relates to the placement of all or most of a player's body weight on a quarterback. Well, they do expect players, when it's possible, to avoid landing directly on the quarterback, you know, in that torso-to-torso, shoulder-to-torso manner where all or most of the body weight just stuffs the quarterback, pile-drives, whatever, puts puts the the, the quarterback in in, in danger of being injured. And and I think we've seen those. We, We know there are plays like that that are indeed... Dangerous. I, I think the Saragusa play was it Rich Gannon years ago. Kind of got yep. started on this. Uh, so yes, it is indeed a problem, and it is something that does put quarterbacks at risk because they're not runners. They're, they're they are defenseless players. Now, now, what what's gotten us in, into trouble is the application of how far they've gone with that. You know. Uh, what, they've, they've now it seems that even a legal form tackle, and if it's just the, the momentum of the hit takes them, and there's just nothing the defender can do other than make some kind of body-to-body contact when he's on the ground, is, it seems to be that's what they want for a foul now. And, and I really, really struggle with it because one of the fundamental principles I had as a referee for 17 years, if it was a legal form tackle, shoulder to midsection, uh, unless it was was unbelievably late, you're just not going to throw a penalty because that's how you tackle in football. And if they've taken that away now, then I really don't know where we're going to end up. And I think that's the biggest concern for players, for coaches, for fans, for media. The idea that you really don't know what's going to get you flagged. You know, if you steal somebody's car, you know Grand Theft Auto is going to be the wrap. You cheat on your taxes, you know what the penalty is. You know where the line is. With this, I feel like the line isn't a line. If anything, it's a blur. It's like a brushed out blur. And maybe you're on the wrong side of it. Maybe you're not. And that isn't very conducive to teaching players what they can and can't do when it really isn't clear what they can and can't do. It, it, it really isn't. And, and I'll go a step further. One of the most important key words in this whole description in the rule book is the word unnecessary. There is nothing about what Clay Matthews did that I consider unnecessary. Nothing. I mean, he hit him 
in the midsection and just ended the play. He didn't get there was no nothing extra where which is when you know, we're gonna I'm gonna drive my shoulder right into his chest or, or helmet or whatever on the ground. He didn't do any of that. In fact, it looked like he tried to avoid doing that. How hard is it in that moment as a referee to throw the flag when you know the game's on the line, the team's driving down the field trying to force overtime? Do, are you tempted to keep the flag deeper in your pocket, but you still have to call it if you think it's a foul anyway? For me, time and score was, was really irrelevant. Uh, I, I, I never could make that distinction, never wanted to make that mistake, mis- distinction. In my mind, if, if it's a foul in the first minute of the first game, in the first quarter, uh, then it's a foul in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. And conversely, if it's not a foul in the fourth quarter of the, of the Super Bowl, I don't want to call it in the first minute of the first game either. So for me personally, and I think for most officials, that's, that's, that's the only way you can consistently officiate the game week to week. Tony Carrenti, the referee in the Green Bay-Minnesota game, explained to a pool reporter after the fact that the Clay Matthews hit on Kirk Cousins wasn't an instance of the body weight, the Tony Siragusa play. It was the lifting the quarterback and driving him into the ground. Some call that burping, and I can't even get a consistent answer among people in the know as to what is and isn't burping. But one characterization that I've gleaned from talking to people is when you get that the arm hooked under the leg, up go the legs, down goes the quarterback. That's the burping action that is separately prohibited from the body weight. Do you believe that what Matthews did falls in that category of lifting and driving and that burping phrase that some people use? Well, I'll start with the burping phrase. Since it's not in the rule book, I, I really don't want anything to do with it. I mean, lift, uh, driving is. And, and I've read the pool report, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. First of all, it's, it shocked me that they even had a pool report. In, in my career, a pool report on a judgment call was, was not – you just didn't do it. It was not, it was not allowed ever. So I, I was surprised that they did it at all. And then as, as, I, as I read the pool report, which he, Tony would have had a coordinating conference call or conversation with Al River on before he takes the pool reporter's questions. So they coordinated this response. Tony probably would not have seen the play again, but certainly Al would have. And it just surprised me when I read it that the, the, the words that Tony used simply do not match the video. And it doesn't match what I see. I do not believe he picked him up. I do not believe he drove him into the ground. So, so now we're, we're looking at a pool report that is supposed to describe what Tony saw, and it certainly does, isn't what happened, and, and it's after he and Al have seen the video. So I, I, I'm not sure what to make of this pool report. I, I really don't understand it. So just so we're clear, you disagree with the characterization of the video as showing lifting off the ground and driving, and your interpretation of what you saw would have been not a foul under any circumstances. Absolutely. Did, it, did the quarterback's feet slightly come off the ground? Yes. When you're hitting the mix section and you're, you're in that position – your feet are probably going to come up naturally. Uh, you know, I've seen it a hundred times on plays like this in real time. So you want to see something beyond that. You want to see him actually pick him up further than what would nor- you'd normally see. And then you, you'd like to see him, as, as the, the rule book says, drive him forcefully into the ground. And, and I, I didn't see it. I, I, I didn't see it at the time. I didn't see it in the earlier play that was called against Minnesota. 
uh, yeah, against Minnesota went on the hit on Rodgers. Uh, I think they're, all, they're identical plays. And so Tony clearly believes that his guidance from the league is to call this a foul. Now, you mentioned the concept of the pool report. And now that you're in the media, maybe you'll feel differently. I firmly believe that the referee should be available to the media after every game, just like the coaches, just like the players are. The transparency should be there. If there were questionable calls, the referee should know that he or she is going to have to answer those questions the same way a coach or a player would have to answer questions about mistakes made during the game. How do you feel about the concept of mandatory post-game referee press availability now that you no longer are a referee who would be subject to mandatory post-game press availability? It, it may surprise you. I think it's the worst idea I've ever heard. Uh, Why? No, I got more. I got more. Don't, 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 apply that, don't apply that label yet. I got more. <laughs> okay. Well, I know it's early in our relationship. I get it. But, no, I, th- you've, you've come off a, an extremely difficult game. You don't have access to the video. You've just done what you believe is right in real time. And, and, and I think to, 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 to put somebody under the microscope, like that, who, who, who that's just not their job to do. That's the league's job to do, to explain things after the fact, if they choose to, is not conducive. First of all, I don't think it solves anything. I, I, you know, they did what they did. Everybody's seen what they did. Further explanation of it is, is not going to help anybody who believes they were wrong in the first place. And, and if they believe they were right, well, good for you. I, I don't need to hear it. It's... I, I just don't see a purpose that it serves for anybody other than subjecting that particular referee to further scrutiny uh, than he's already had. Do you think that they should make greater use of transparency after the fact in Al Riveron or whoever the VP of officiating may be in the future, making himself or herself available to the media, doing videos on NFL Network, doing online videos? I mean, the weekly officiating video, at least what I saw for week one, there wasn't a whole lot of meat there. It was a lot of specific, short, discrete examples of things that most people already know. I want to see them delve into the controversial calls and tell us, was it right, was it wrong? Explain why it was right, explain why it was wrong. Do you believe that's something that should be done on a regular basis with the VP of officiating being the one to do it? I have mixed feelings because we've kind of seen it in practice with with Mike and Dean, and I thought Mike did it pretty well in in his tenure. Dean, unfortunately, we got into a season where he was doing it, and every single week there seemed to be a controversial call or something, some call that was missed. Well, guess what? That does happen every single week. And the more he he seemed to pile on, the, the, the less credibility officiating had because here's the, here's the vice president of fishing going on every week saying, yep, they screwed up again. Even though there's a ton of, of correct calls made, people really don't want to focus on that. And I think it's the problem the NBA has with their last two-minute report. People don't care if the league says the officiating was correct. They don't care. They're going to focus on that one blurb that, that, that says, yes, in this one instance, the officials cost my team a game, they're terrible. And, and that's what we've seen with the NBA two-minute report. It's what we saw with Dean doing that, you know, for, for ten consecutive weeks and I forget which season it was, two or three years ago. And, 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 it, and it really it affects morale. I, I know a lot of people don't care about that, but it is important. It affects that, and it affects the credibility of the officiating program in general. 
And I hear where you're coming from. I mean, you got your boss calling you out publicly every week, potentially. You got to worry about that on top of your grades, on top of what they yell at you when you're in the stadium. There is a balance there that needs to be struck between transparency and also the morale of the employees who are tasked with this very difficult and challenging job of making the calls right in real time when you're out there with no protection among these young, strong, fast guys wearing armor who can take you out at any given moment. You're doing the best you can with the naked eye. So I get where you're coming from there. It's a balance that isn't easy to strike because I think there is an interest in the media and the fans understanding some of these calls, but you don't want to take it so far that it hurts the, the mindset of the people who have to do it. Now, right. can you I, can said I, the can idea... Can I add one thing to that, Mike? Can I add, yeah. Last week, I think we saw a perfect example of it. It, it seemed that Al River, I mean, well, the league, was really eager to point out that the Miles Garrett roughing the passer on Ben Roethlisberger was incorrect. came out seems like, like after, right after midnight on, on Monday morning, it seemed like. So, but did you notice Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin's response to that? You know, why, why would you say that? What about all the calls that were potentially missed against us in that game? What I've seen, and in my dealing with coaches at the college level, which I had a lot, lot uh, in, in my 10 years with the Big East and the American, they believe that when you point out errors officials made on, that, that, that favored, that, that went against the other team, you've diminished, you've diminished my team's performance. So if you're going to do it for one, you've got to post every grade and then let people decide who the officials really cost the game. So there's that as well. And I think we saw it really big time last week with the Miles Garrett play. Why do you think they did that then? Boy, I tell you what, I wish I knew. I, I, again, and I, I love what Ben Roethlisberger said, what did that accomplish? Did it make Cleveland feel better? Maybe it made Miles Garrett feel a little better. Of course, they would have told him behind the scenes that it, that it wasn't right. Miles Garrett could do that again, which we've always done. But putting it out publicly, I, I don't. I, I, I know it's under the guise of transparency. Oh yeah, look, we admit our mistakes. Okay, yeah, we do. We we, we, we always admit them internally with the teams, and that's that's the most important thing. But it didn't change the score. It didn't change the fact that a foul was called. It served no purpose other than to to create this imbalance. Uh, uh, imbalance uh, that, that Pittsburgh felt in, in, the, in the reporting. All right. Now, here's my dumbest idea ever, which started off as kind of a joke, but actually it addresses one of the realities of roughing the passer because right now everybody hates the rule and nobody understands it. So how about a rule that everybody will hate, but at least they'll understand? For decades, punters and kickers are protected from contact if the ball is away cleanly. Why not for a quarterback in the pocket? And, I, and maybe it's been discussed at some point. There's so many protections now for quarterbacks. The roughing the passer rule has more than 1,000 words. There are eight subsections. Why not just say for a quarterback in the pocket, in the act of throwing, if you throw the ball and the ball's away, you can't hit the quarterback, and it's either going to be five yards for running into the passer or 15 yards for roughing the passer. Is that the stupidest idea you've ever heard? Yeah, you've trumped yourself on this one because I, I did that earlier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's there. Uh, see, I told you, <laughs> I told fair. you to wait. So, and and, and but, we'll but start wouldn't with that, the wouldn't that take away? But wouldn't that take away the ambiguity? Because now we don't know what the hell a foul is. Well, we actually do. It's the application of, of the. I think the rule's fine. It's their application of it that's the, the problem. But we'll we'll talk about roughing running the kicker. They have that rule because. It's only a foul if it's apparent a kick is, kick is going to be made. He only has that protection. If he ever establishes himself that he's not going to kick the football, then he doesn't get those protections anymore. A quarterback, you don't know if a pass is going to be made or not in any situation. 
So I don't even know what the defender would do or the referee would do in that situation. It it, it just it just doesn't work. It, it, there's you don't not have any pump a, fakes. You don't have any pump fakes on the punt, right? Yeah, sure. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because because obviously if you leave the pocket, that's not an issue. But if you're in the pocket, you can still do a pump fake. And what what's the guy do? Pull up when you do the pump fake, and then you're doing the pump fake to get the guy to stop coming after you and buy more time instead of trying to fake the defensive back or fake the guy who's going to try to jump up and deflect the pass. So I, I'm just I'm trying to think of a way to make this easier for everyone. It feels like it's getting harder and harder to understand what roughing the passer is, and I just don't think that does anything for public confidence in the game when the fans just don't know whether or not the flag's going to arbitrarily come out on any given play. On, on that, you're correct, and again, I'll go back. It's this application I've had. If they had, and it's so similar to what they did with the use of helmet rule. If they had just focused on these, on these obvious body weight situations, expanded a little bit, because it did need to be expanded a little bit further than it was. I mean, we were really, in, in the past, we were looking at the actual pile driving of a quarterback in the ground before we called it, rather than just 350 pounds falling on you you know, dead weight kind of thing. So it did need to expand. And, and just like in the use of helmet, had they focused on that and you had a few more, a few more, and, and most of them I think in week one were correct. I know we had one in Philadelphia, Atlanta on the kickoff game that was absolutely correct. I don't think would have been called in, uh, in 2017, but certainly was correct in 2018 and should be. If they had just done that, we would not be talking about this today. You mentioned the helmet rule, and the league told me just before we got started there have been two fouls through two weeks for lowering the helmet and initiating contact with an opponent. That is an amazing reduction from what we saw the first two weeks of the preseason. It all goes back to that Wednesday conference call where they didn't change the rule, but they changed the rule. They officially didn't change the rule, but the rule was changed to include an exception for incidental or inadvertent contact, and then the bracing concept came into play when Al Riveron was doing one of his weekly videos, and I feel like they've completely turned this thing upside down back to where it is what? Traditional spearing? That's what gets flagged and nothing else? Uh, the, the, the term that was used for me was speed and space with one of the, uh, one, one of the executives I talked to. Uh, they, you're out in space, and it's obvious what he's doing. He's lowering his head, unobstructed path, gets a linear body posture. That's what they wanted out of the game. How they got to where they got preseason weeks one and two is is simply beyond me again self-inflicted wound it wasn't necessary everybody knew what we needed out of the game if they just started there we just wouldn't have had this out- outrage this, this uproar that we had well and it's good that they were able to realize there was a problem they found a way to finesse it so they could fix it but now the roughing the passer is an issue that they're going to have to deal with kind of on the fly. The stuff we thought they would be doing with lowering the helmet, they're going to have to deal with with roughing the passer. Ejections have been a reality this year, Terry. Two of them, one each week, both for unnecessary roughness, not lowering the helmet. And I want to go back to the first one, the Sean Williams hit on Andrew Luck that got him ejected. I I look at that and I, you know, but for the fact that it was a quarterback, a quarterback who missed all of last year, and there was the head snap after the impact, boy, I have a hard time justifying an ejection for that is this just the new world of the nfl where the league office is recommending to the referees more aggressively that they be willing to send players to the showers i I think so and i i'm okay i mean we certainly there's been three that i've seen um and we'll talk about the last one later 
But there's been three, and none of them would have been ejections in my, in my 20 years in the NFL, ever. Under any circumstances, those would not have been. I'm okay with Williams, and I'm okay with the um, KZ play, because the quarterbacks were on the ground when they made forcible contact to the head and neck area. They didn't even have to hit the player. I mean, there was no, no reason. They, they should have pulled up. There should have been no contact whatsoever. So they had another option. It wasn't like this was really a football play. This was, this was just done to punish a player on the ground, and I think it could have been anybody other than a quarterback personally on those two hits. Uh, but, as you said, these, this is brand new. This is, this, is, this is somewhere we've never been before, is, as, as me being part of the National Football League. We haven't seen it, but I do think it is something that, that, that may be worthwhile because there's, there's, they may be willing to take a 15-yard penalty for that hit, but you know the, the the risk it puts that player on the ground at. I, I think it's good to put the message out to the players that this is going to be ejection. Now, what I think should have been done, and this was not done after the Williams hit, there should have been a memo that went to every team that said these are the aspects of this play that will get you disqualified. If they'd done that, is it possible maybe the KZ hit wouldn't have even happened, and, and we wouldn't have seen Cam Newton in the tent? That's what I would have done. I mean, get it out to everybody. We don't want this in the league, and don't do this, and and we don't get the hit, and you don't get ejected. Is that standard practice when there's an ejection, to put everyone on notice of what caused it and how it can be avoided in the future? It's not, but since this was brand new, this is the first time this has really ever happened in a regular season game, it, it sure would seem like it would behoove the uh, – the, 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 the National Football League to, to, to put players on notice and give them fair warning of what you can be ejected for. I, I, I just I don't know why they would not have done that uh, in that situation. If I recall correctly, Pete Morelli was the referee in that game, and there was some suspicion in the viewing room at NBC that even though the official word from Al Riveron and from the NFL was that the, the referee made the decision to eject and Riveron confirmed it. It felt while watching it that maybe the idea was planted by 345 Park Avenue and then the decision was made by the referee taking the advice and counsel of Al Riveron to decide to eject the player. Did you get any of that similar sense when you saw the tape of those moments? It, it, it certainly is possible. And, of course, we'll never know the real answer. I, I mean, it, the way it played out seemed suspect. Uh, I, I, you know, w- right now I guess we'll have to go with their word about the way it, way it uh, really transpired, but or, or the way they say it transpired. But it did seem odd that he would just announce it and then come back later and have the conversation. That that kind of did strike us as odd. Well, plenty of odd things so far this year. Not the things we necessarily thought, but with roughing the passer, ejections, it's something we got to continue to keep an eye on, Terry. I appreciate so much of your time to help us understand exactly what's happening. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Mike, and maybe they'll have a Wednesday conference call and get it fixed. <laughs> That's right. Well, they don't fix it. They won't fix it. They, they will not fix it, and then they'll tell us how they fixed it. Uh, there you go. I'll, I'll live with that. I think we'll all live with that. All right. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, buddy. All right, that's it for Tuesday. Thanks to Vaughn Miller. Thanks to Terry McCauley. Thanks to you for your continued support of the PFTPM podcast. We'll be back Wednesday with another program. And what I'm trying to do, I want to try to get one of the Hall of Famers that has made the demand of the Hall of Fame to compensate them for being Hall of Famers. Otherwise, they're not going to show up 
for the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony. I wonder if Terrell Owens' decision to boycott has somehow caused these these other Hall of Famers to become aware of the leverage that they have because part of the show, part of the festivity, part of the spectacle is these guys choosing to come to Canton every year. If they say we're not coming, it's no longer a spectacle. So we're going to try to get one of these guys to get their side of the story, what they're thinking, and where this may go from here for Wednesday's PFTPM podcast. I'm not promising. I'm just giving you an idea. We will promote it if it's going to happen. Otherwise, we will take a bunch of questions and say a bunch of things and keep getting you ready for the third week of the 2018 regular season. Thanks again for your time. We'll talk again on Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.